Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Hi there. I'm Laura Wasser. And if anyone knows how much divorce sucks, it's me. I've been practicing family law for over 25 years, and I've worked on thousands of divorces, from the top of the food chain all the way down to my very first case, which was my own divorce when I was 25. It has become my life's mission to destigmatize divorce and create a community around what is already a difficult time. We call it the evolution of dissolution. So welcome to the Divorce Sucks Podcast, where we talk about breaking up, getting divorced, and moving on. Good morning. Good morning. We talked the whole night through. Good morning. Good morning to you. Good morning, and welcome to the Sunny Side Up Report on the Divorce Sex Podcast. I'm Laura Wasser. I'm Johnny Rains. Good morning, everyone. And Sunny Side Up Report is when we go through all of the things that have come up in the world of relationships, divorces, co-parenting, and even weddings in our world. So we're going to report them to you. Yes. And the first one has to do with our friends Rob Lowe and his wife Cheryl Burkhoff, who have been married for 28 years. Wow. In my world, that's a long time. Mine too. And um, this is from AOL Entertainment by Gibson Johns. Actor Rob Lowe shares the secret of his successful marriage to Cheryl and explains why going to therapy is as regular of a thing to him and his family as working out with a trainer, which you know I always use that analogy. Absolutely. He's cut from the same cloth. He says, people always ask, do you have any advice about marriage? And he's reminded of when they asked Alfred Hitchcock about making a hit movie. He said it's all about the casting. And that's the same with marriage. Rob Lowe said it really is all about who you pick i always say to people if there's any way to marry your best friend do it because the rest of it comes and goes and i was very lucky there and he says the one thing that has been part of our family so it's not just the two of them it's family stuff is the notion of therapy as a sort of proactive non-shaming practice like a trainer he revealed right we think of going to therapy or talking to a therapist it's literally no different from a chiropractor and talks about communication. I mean, honestly, we tell folks, start going to therapy when things are good in your relationship because you will start to develop the tools that you may need later on when things may not be so good. So it's key. Next up, these are the most common arguments married couples have. I'm speaking of therapy. If they went to therapy, they might have less arguments. <laughs> but it's, yeah. the, it's the top 12. It yes. comes to us from fatherly Lauren Vinapal. And Some of these were surprising. Some of them weren't. And I actually did a podcast yesterday with our friend Emily, Sex with Emily. So she asked me. How was that, by the way? It was great. It was a great, great podcast. Love her. Did you get any any, uh, parting gifts? They sent me home with sex toys. Hmm. They did. Yeah. No wonder you've got that glow this morning. (laughs) In any event, she asked me, what are the top three things? And and then she kind of answered her own question because she said, I've always heard that they are money sex, right. and I forgot the third one. Oh, maybe kids? Well, that's what's interesting in this this particular article. The f- number one thing that couples fight over is children. Right. And that, again, that goes to how to raise them, where they go to school, how you discipline them. Um, I have so many clients that have questions during and after their divorces right. about the co-parenting issues. And I say, look, this isn't really that different from if you guys were still married. You'd have to be working these things out. Communication is a big is number three in this article. I would actually move that up to number one. I think people not being able to communicate is one of the most difficult ones. Yes. They also say, going down the list, that 
Money is one of them. Relatives, I would imagine, is a huge What about one. habits? That's the number habits. seven, the seventh most likely thing that people are going to argue about. It's surprising that chewing loudly, lack of punctuality, <laughs> or looking at your phone too much would outweigh cheating on your spouse in terms of conflicts. But husbands reported that fights about bad habits made of about 16.2% of total arguments <laughs> compared to 17.1% for wives. Interesting. Very interesting. I think habits... I mean, that yeah. can move up and down the list. Exactly. <laughs> Depending on the habit. Yes. In the day. Next, from dig.com and Reddit, divorce lawyers share the strangest reasons for divorce they've seen in darkly hilarious Reddit threads. Some, some of these Reddit threads are hilarious. And yes. so when they put one up that has divorce in it, it pops up on my screen. Read us some of them, Johnny, because they're funny. Well, in the article, I think the one that the guy taught the parakeet certain cuss words for his wife. Uh-huh. And then, of course, they've divorced now and the parrot lives with the man. What a surprise. <laughs> what I also like about this article is they encourage you to actually go to Reddit. There's a link in the article to get to the Reddit feed. And I went to the Reddit feed and found some really, really hilarious ones. And did you know that there are a lot of mothers of men who are married who call divorce lawyers to help their sons get divorced? Yes, I did know that. (laughs) I was shocked. I like this one. My dad was a divorce lawyer. He had a client who wanted to divorce her husband for two reasons. One, he did not have enough hair on his chest. (laughs) Two, he did not drive fast enough. (laughs) Keep in mind, this is in the 70s when chest hair is a bit more important. Unfortunately, I think it's coming back. This is my favorite one, okay? My client was the outrageous one, so my heart went out to his poor wife. He had OCD, which manifested primarily financially, so he made their lives a penny-pinching hell. He was obsessed with avoiding unnecessarily driving to avoid wear and tear on the car and gas expenses. He cut the whole family's hair at home and never let them eat (laughs) in a restaurant or go to the movies. But weirdest of all, he kept one toilet paper roll on him at all times, and you had to go get one square from him before you could go to the bathroom. He never gave more than one square. We finally got fed up and left. Wife finally got fed up and left him when one, he gave her bangs during an in-home haircut, and two, their daughter was so traumatized by the toilet paper thing, they couldn't potty train her. My goodness. You know what? (laughs) I mean... Yes. They should divorce. Just, yes. It's over (laughs) easy. Go. (laughs) Run, don't walk. Now, what about you? What 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 would you say is the strangest reason you've heard for divorce? (sighs) You know, people ask me that all the time. I don't know. I haven't had one of those crazy (laughs) stories that I know of. And maybe after 25 years, nothing really sounds that strange anymore. Maybe that's it. Maybe the one sheet of toilet paper is in your future. Yeah, (laughs) I I hope not. (laughs) Next up, um, speaking of wedded bliss, there's a bride who spent $3,000 on Amazon for her entire wedding, including the dress. That never happens. Yeah, it's pretty impressive. She's a very smart young lady, I would say. Yes. Her name is... Ashley Hicks, she found everything she needed and wanted on Amazon, including the party favors or bridesmaids dresses. The article is written by Leah Rose Emery and is on Bustle.com. So I encourage anybody out there who might be thinking about their second wedding to give Amazon a try. And she paid $100 for her wedding dress. Technically, it was 99 but she paid 100 and I think a few cents for tax. And she said, it'll be here in two weeks. It came, I put it on, and it fit perfectly. Hmm. That never happens, no. folks. But again, I mean, if you can find a $99 wedding dress on Amazon, order it, get it in time to try it on. You can always God bless. It. On the flip side yes. is this article that says, my divorce cost me $17,695, and these were the most surprising expenses I faced. This was from businessinsider.com by Jordan Barkus. And 
we have done research before we launched It's Over Easy to yes. find, and I'm glad this lines up with it, that the average divorce in the U.S. costs about $15,000. And so the person writing this says it's a 27-year-old data analyst living in Clovis, New Mexico. And so I think it's a she. She tells us about the other unexpected expenses like refinancing her car loan and paying yes. for therapy afterwards. I got to tell you, I don't think paying for therapy... Mm fits into what your divorce costs. At least it didn't when we were doing our market research. Like right. Therapy separate. Yeah. Definitely refinancing the car, sure. maybe. There are certain incidentals that go along with I mean a lot of people can't get health insurance anymore right. through their spouse's, you know, employment, so they have to get it. Those things maybe certainly having to prepare a qualified domestic relations order, fix mm-hmm. your will. These are these incident expenses. But the actual divorce I don't know that that therapy or those charges should be included in that, frankly. But let's talk about some of the things that they that she wouldn't have expected. I mean, again, yeah. moving is one. Right. Um, buying basic necessities because you can't have every single pot and pan. You usually split those or the dishes. Are those divorce expenses? I mean, that's what she's saying. She just didn't anticipate what it was going to cost for her to basically finance her life separately from her ex. Right. She had to separate their phone plans, for example. She had to take over um, a title car loan that they'd taken together. And this guy sounds a bit like an asshole, so he didn't want to have any more payments. So she ended up taking a loan to pay off that loan. And she got herself into a little bit of financial trouble. But by the end of the article, after she tallies everything, she is actually in a much better position. What was the actual? Oh, she was in Georgia. The cost of actually filing for divorce in Georgia, including court fees, was about two twenty-five. This was for an uncontested divorce where neither of us had hired attorneys. But I don't know what else she paid, if anything, to go through it. I guess they just did it themselves. So I guess her point is yeah. that going through this divorce, probably the divorce itself was the least expensive part. Exactly. I mean, refinancing the car loan and all that was six grand or something. And also what she talks about here, and it's something that you always say, is get educated. Yes. So don't get, just don't blindly go into the divorce without having some idea of what comes after the divorce. Right. And so to do that, and what we are always trying to do here on the Divorce Sex Podcast is educate you. Joining us next is the president of the American Academy of Matrimonial Lawyers, Peter Walzer, who is going to share ways to cut costs and spend less on your divorce. I think the number one cause of divorce is probably failing to communicate. It may just be the natural evolution of the couple, but if you still have a connection like kids or a business partnership, you have to be able to communicate. Sometimes it's just easier to talk after you've split up. The good news is, if that's the case, you'll probably be able to co-parent more effectively. And if you're listening to our podcast, my guess is that you might have something incident to breaking up on your mind. So no matter where you are in the lifespan of your relationship, you can rely on us to continue providing fresh resources on The Index, The Insights blog, and right here on Divorce Sucks to help facilitate better communication. My guest today is a brilliant communicator. He's also an esteemed family law attorney who has spent his career working to improve efficiency and fairness in family law proceedings and to ensure access to justice for family law litigants. He's the founding partner of the Southern California law firm Walzer Melcher LLP, and he's held venerable leadership positions with an impressive list of legal bodies and organizations, including the Los Angeles County and American Bar Associations. 
He's the president of the American Academy of Matrimonial Lawyers, and he's joining us live and in person today. Please welcome to Divorce Sucks, Mr. Peter M. Walzer. Thank you for having me. Oh, thank you for being here. So I also have to tell our listeners something, another thing that Peter and I have in common, which is our dads were our both family law attorneys. So we really, we were born into it, yes? That's correct. They were in the first family law study group together. And I think your dad was the youngest member of that group, sort yes. of a prodigy at the time. <laughs> yes. I was texting with my dad this morning because he, he's a good texter. And he told me to say hi to you and remembering Stuart, your dad, fondly. So tell us a little bit. I mean, I've got some stuff from you, and you're not bragging if you tell our listeners, Peter, because we really do relish having professionals and esteemed professionals in the field so that when our listeners tune in, they know that they're getting you know, really, really good information. Tell us a little bit about you, where you went to school, how you came up through the ranks, all that, because a lot of times people think because our dads did this, it was just nepotism and it was easy. They don't realize how hard we work to get where we are. So um, when I first became a lawyer, I said I never practiced family law and I'd never worked with my dad. And, well, I worked with him for a couple of years and I did become a specialist in family law and a fellow of the American Academy of Matrimonial Lawyers. But over the years, I think my dad was my mentor, my teacher. He taught me to write, speak, be a leader in the field of family law. And right now I am president of the American Academy of Matrimonial Which is Lawyers. huge, by the way, you guys. That's like, that's the shit. Oh, sorry. He doesn't swear either, but I do. So I'm, gonna, I'm swearing for two now. So Yeah, please double up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so uh, every organization I've been in, I've tried to be the leader and to guide the course of what we do. So I've been president of the, of the Association of Certified Family Law Specialists. I've been president of the State Bar Family Law Section. I've been president of the L.A. County Bar Family Law Section. And I find that by being a leader, I can direct the course of what we do, which is providing access to justice to family law litigants, helping the court system move along, and basically making the profession better. Tell us about Elkins. I, I, I'm not sure our listeners are familiar with Elkins Family Law Task Force, but I love what it stands for. So um, back a few years ago, the Supreme Court had a case involving a litigant who was self-represented. And basically, the Supreme Court said that everybody is entitled to uh, try their case, to have their case heard, and we can't have rules that exclude the public from the court system. So, so the court formed a task force of judges, uh, court professionals, psychologists, and lawyers to come up with a plan to make our system more accessible and better for the public, and that was the Elkins Task Force. And we basically changed the course of litigation in the family courts in California. Which I, I love, as you know, because if it's over easy, what we do is help self-represented litigants kind of get through it. And I do believe... Access to justice is important. There are so many people, and again, various issues come up. The one that I am best, you know, poised to attack is family law issues and making sure that there's access to justice for people who otherwise wouldn't be able to have child custody proceedings, have support proceedings, have simple status divorce proceedings, have domestic violence proceedings if they did not have that access. So I love that you guys are doing that. Exactly. I mean, most of the people in the court system are not represented by lawyers. I mean, 85%. That's most of the people. 
and it's getting better. You can go down and get your papers prepared in the Los Angeles Superior Court and get assistance. Also, just so that you guys know, I mean, Peter won't tell you this, but I'm going to tell you. He won Family Law Person of the Year in 2009, Fellow of the Year by the AAML in 2010. He was one of top 100 lawyers in Southern California in 2010, has consistently been listed in Best Lawyers in America, was awarded the Southwestern Law School Max A. Goodman Family Law Legacy Award in June of 2017. For those of you from the Los Angeles area, Max Goodman was like the family law professor not just at Southwestern, but really around Southern California. They called him Max the Axe, and everyone just loved this guy. Um, my partner, Melanie Mandels, was in his class as well. Oh, really? and we went and taught it a few times, yeah. And Chambers and Partners named Peter a leader in the field and ranked him in band one for their 2018 High Net Worth Guide for Family Law. So The only other person named in that guide was Laura Wasser, I have to tell you. Which, until this moment, I was not aware of. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you know, there's just so many awards. Anyway, um, so tell us, I mean, I want to really pick your brain because I talk about it a lot, but I like hearing what other people have to say, and you've got a few years on me. Give us some advice that you would give to engaged couples, Peter. So you got to talk about your finances. you got to talk about your relationship. You've got to communicate. And if you can't talk about the money before you're married, you have no hope when you're married. Do you hear that? Yeah. Particularly ladies, we don't like to talk about money. Somehow someone taught us that we shouldn't talk about money. Talk about money. If you want to have a partnership, you want to have a relationship, a marriage that's going to last, you have to talk about money. So the idea of a prenup, it's not for everybody, but we all enter into a prenup. The prenup are the laws of the state of California, which you probably never read, probate laws, community property laws, family laws, all that is what you're signing on to by getting married. A prenup is just a condensed version of that telling you what you will get. You may think you will, you don't need one, but if there's wealth involved, if they're children of a former marriage, you probably need a prenup. And it, and it can in, in, engender communication between you. You may not like it, say it, talk about it. Express your feelings, because that's the beginning. And if there's no dialogue, there's going to be no marriage. And and if you, if someone said to you, I know, but Mr. Walzer, I just feel like I'm contracting my marriage, what do you say to them? We're all contracting our marriages. We're all getting into a contract. It's better to know what it is. Often, you're marrying somebody wealthy. You're getting into a relationship. If you don't have a prenup, that's worse. There may be no community property. You may be able to negotiate a deal, which basically a prenup is a financial planning document. It's your future. You've got to plan. If you don't plan and just hope things are going to turn out, it may not work out. And there are only two ways out of a marriage, divorce and death, <laughs> right. which is better. Right. People say, I can't believe I'm getting divorced. I say it's better than the alternative. Also, just so you all know, it's not just figuring out what happens if you get divorced. Prenuptial agreements often set certain standards and rules for how you conduct yourselves during the marriage. And if you have those rules to live by, sometimes that makes it easier to stay in the marriage because everybody knows what the expectations of each other are. Exactly. If you're if you're wondering what the other person is doing with their money, if you don't know, if you don't know how much you're entitled to, if you don't know how much you could spend, you've got to find out. And it's better to have a premarital agreement than a postmarital agreement and start bringing the lawyers in during your 
while you're married, do it beforehand and get it straight. And then never see us again. Tell us, I mean, you have, people ask me all the time, and I am unfortunately not up to speed on the on the stats. Divorces happen all the time. How many divorces happen in the U.S.? And how many of them get litigated and how many settle? I mean, there are hundreds of thousands of divorces. Most people resolve their cases out of court. I've heard 95% resolve out of court. But what makes all the noise? It's the litigation. It's the attorneys fighting each other. Those are the cases that we get, the complex matters. But really, even with our cases, most of them end up in a settlement, in a handshake, and people go on. Because the truth is, it's prohibitively expensive to litigate a divorce. It's prohibitively expensive. And there's the backlash of anger, regrets, bitterness, appeals, the whole deal. What are the main reasons for divorce, in your opinion and in your experience? Well, I think lack of communication covers a lot of things. Mm -hmm. But then you get, you know, I see a lot of drug use, uh, alcohol abuse, uh, mental illness. I mean, those are often the cases I get. If it's just failure to communicate, they can work that out, but there's often something more. So the easy remedy, just talk to each other, doesn't work. Often there's infidelity, lack of trust. It works like a domino effect to crash the relationship. So it's hard to put back together a broken relationship. But what's the alternative? Starting over with somebody else right. and dealing with the same problems? Right. So work on what you got, unless it's impossible, and sometimes it's not possible. Why is our system so broken? I know it is getting better down there, but throughout the country, I've now, through its over easy, gone to visit various self-help centers. I act sometimes as a judge pro tem downtown and see just the plethora of documents that come in and how they get filed. I know we've still had a hard time in our jurisdiction figuring out how to do e-filings. Why is it so difficult? I think the energy with the politicians, there's not enough of, pol of a political will to get it done. There's not enough people going through divorce to get the money from the politicians to make our court systems operate. But anytime you put your power in the hands of somebody else, a judge, a court official, you're not going to get the same results if you work it out together and you use private resources to work things out. So when you keep your money for yourselves or your kids as opposed to using it on attorneys, everyone ends up better. Everybody ends up better. A lawsuit in a, in a divorce is one of the few instances where both parties actually have the same end game interest. There's no big wins. I mean, really, there's a pot and you're splitting it up in a certain way. The more money you keep inside that pot, the better it is for your family, correct? In most cases, yes. There are unusual cases where somebody wants to move away. You're not going to see your kids again. You do have to fight. If you're not getting support and you need support, you're going to have to fight. Sometimes there are difficult people. Most of the cases resolve out of court, and you could work it out. You both have the same goal. People ask me this a lot. What's a, what's a reasonable time frame for getting a divorce? And I've told our listeners in California, we have a six-month waiting period. Almost every other state is not as long. But I know I've heard you say, don't rush through it. Make sure to take the time so not only can the psychic wounds heal, but that you're in a position to do it rationally. Give our listeners something about that. Well, there's sort of an Elizabeth Kubler-Ross death and dying process we all go through in a difficult breakup, and that can be anger, depression, guilt, 
revenge. There's a cycle of these things, but they all seem to happen all at once when you're going through it. And you need to give that time to settle. Everybody's different. Everybody's got a different path. I've heard people say it takes, what, half the length of the marriage to get over it. I have a quarter of the length. But give it time because you don't want to do a deal out of anger, guilt, depression. You want to be of sound mind. And it takes time to get through that, those stages, so you're ready to do it. It's not the same for everybody. But it's not going to be a month. It's probably not going to be two months. Some people are ready because they've gone through all that because they broke, because of they've been separated or some other reason. But it takes a while. Give yourself time. Why is it better to use a psychologist or a mental health professional to help with parenting decisions and custody decisions than doing it through attorneys? Well, when you give it to attorneys, they're really not as child-centered as a psychologist who's looking out for the best interests of the kids. I know we use that all the time, best interests, and it's sort of beauty is in the eye of the beholder. But at least a mental health professional is experiencing that knows the different plans. There's only seven days in a week, and it's got to be divided. The kids love both parents. They want to see you getting along, right? They don't want to see you fighting with each other. Their little eyes are looking at both parents, seeing how they're reacting. They want to see you work it out. A mental health professional is better to do that than an attorney, or even putting it in the hands of a judge who doesn't care. Doesn't They're care, doesn't know, is on, a, is on a tight schedule. I want to tell a story because it's just been weighing on me so heavily. I There's a friend of mine who has done some work for It's Over Easy, and she was being deposed in a family law case. And she said, can you represent me? I just, I, She's an attorney, but she just has never done family law stuff except for at It's Over Easy. I said, sure. You know the players. They will remain nameless. So I go with her yesterday afternoon to wife, mom's attorney's office for her deposition. Wife, mom has two attorneys representing her, both, I'm sure, well in excess of $500 an hour, a court reporter, and then dad and his attorney are there. And they are deposing my slash client friend about a four-month relationship that she had with dad post-separation wherein there was some infidelities. There was infidelity in the relationship with my client, and there was also infidelity in the relationship with mom. There may have been some issues about some drinking, but again, that was not the forefront of this four-hour deposition. On and on and on and on. And at one point I said, can I just, I have a question. Is this about custody? And they said, oh, yes. And I said, we're taking a deposition of a woman that dated dad for four months post-separation who only met the kid a couple of times. What is happening here? And, and how the, the cost both financially and emotionally to both of these parents and, of course, to this girlfriend who wants nothing to do with any of this family anymore about this child. I said, do you really think that this, based on whatever she says, that the dad's going to go away? There's going to be some kind of a timeshare. What is it that we're doing here? Dredging up all these bad feelings, getting a very, very high attorney bill. I mean, again, I, I think I know what you think of it, but this is still happening in 2019. We're having these Kramer versus Kramer litigations for people, and it is exactly everything that I have kind of set out to try and change in terms of it's over easy, the evolution of dissolution, this podcast. Folks, don't do this. Any any words I, I of wisdom? Agree. I, I think 
we make our money. The energy behind these divorces is hurt feelings. Yeah. It's because adults are acting like babies. Their feelings are hurt. They want revenge. They want payback time. So they're willing to take court time, take it away from the public, spend money on attorneys to get revenge. Unfortunately, we make a lot of money that way. It's crazy. It's ridiculous. But when they're in the middle of it, they're hurt. They're bitter. They can't see. They're sick. Right. And I mean, again, as inter- as attorneys, officer of the court, it is incumbent, I think, upon us to say, what is happening here? What are you guys doing? I've had so many friends, clients come to me and say, if only I knew then what I know now. Just getting back to your point about letting it settle, take a minute to think about it, because in the heat of the anger, hurt, fear, you're going to do things and you're going to have an advocate or a hired gun at hundreds of dollars an hour do things for you that may not necessarily be in your best interest or your family's. I think I've seen an evolution with mediation, collaborative law, the whole thing in our practice that there's less litigation. So I do see that progression. People will go to a mediator and say, why do, why spend money on two attorneys? Let's go to somebody and work it out. Even in my cases with two attorneys, we'll go as soon as we can to a private judge mediator or an attorney mediator and say, how can we work it out? If you can't do the whole thing, let's take bite-sized pieces, baby steps. We're going to work on one little thing, one week at a time, till we build trust and get back in the rhythm of getting along. Alexa isn't the only one with breaking news. Make sure to hang around at the end of this podcast for the latest breaking headlines on the AP News Minute. You're listening to the Divorce Sucks Podcast. I'm your host, Laura Wasser, and today's guest is family law attorney Peter M. Walzer, the president of the American Academy of Matrimonial Lawyers. He's one of the foremost experts in the United States on the subjects of family law and child custody, authoring articles on these subjects for the Daily Journal, the Matrimonial Law Monthly, and the Los Angeles Lawyer Magazine, just to name a few. And you can read his latest article about the high cost of divorce litigation on the It's Over Easy Insights blog. It may help you save money on your own dissolution. We're speaking today about improving communication for couples, prenuptial agreements, and other relevant family law matters. Peter, in your article for The Family Advocate, A World of Agreements, Enforcing and Attacking Foreign Prenups in the United States, you share some advice for people marrying someone from another country. Why do you recommend these prospective spouses to enter into an American-style premarital agreement? Well, most of the countries in the world have what's called marital regimes. They're not really the same as premarital agreements. And really, the only state that will honor those is New York State. So there are 49 other states, and we don't necessarily recognize those. So if you want your agreement to stand, it's better to have an American-style premarital agreement to protect your assets. So New York does recognize agreements from other countries. They do. Even if they're unconscionable or are there certain standards that even New York will draw a line at? Yeah, I've seen some pretty bad ones that they've enforced, I'm sorry to say. Really? Yes. They somehow have a case law that supports even 
agreements that really don't fit the modern times that were signed years ago. Right. And tell our listeners, I know I do this sometimes, putting a choice of law section in a prenuptial agreement, will that hold up? I mean, maybe not necessarily with custody if the family's living somewhere else, but tell us about those. Really, it doesn't apply to custody and child support, but choice of law clauses in an agreement um, often do hold up. But if they offend public policy, if they involve spouse support, like terminating it, they might not. But we always put one in that chooses, for example, California's substantive law, which is the law of the land, and procedural law. Speaking of procedure, a lot of people have asked, and because I figured you've been doing this long enough to know, tell our listeners a little bit about contempt. And again, not in the normal term that we would use it, but as a term of art. What happens when parties to a divorce don't obey court orders? That's very frustrating to people that there's a court order and their attorney can't do anything about it. You're just not bringing the kids back or you're not paying your support or you owe me this, you know, for my half of the residuals and you're not paying it to me. So how do we deal with, first of all, how do we determine whether it's actually contempt? So, I mean, first of all, contempt is a punishment by the court that can involve a fine and court time. We very seldom see that. Jail time. It's jail time. And it's very, we seldom see it, and it's very hard to prosecute because it's like a criminal action. The parties are entitled to an attorney. They're entitled to, um, they can take the Fifth Amendment, so they can't be forced to testify. That's a real tricky thing. But in terms of collecting arrearages on support, residuals, money that you're owed, that is easier to, easier in quotes. Nothing's easy. You often have to try many times. You got to go to court to determine how much the amount is owed. Then you've got to go against their bank accounts, their wages, some other route. It is a long procedure, it is expensive. But it can be done. In terms of violating court orders regarding children, the best thing to do is take that and go back to the court and ask for a change of custody. Going for contempt doesn't do you much good, but asking for a change in custody, courts are receptive when people violate orders. So if dad is consistently not bringing the kids back on Sunday, but bringing them back on Monday, dad consistently doesn't pick the kids up on the days he's supposed to, uh, mom has traveled out of state on more than one occasion without having mutual consent to that, you go back to the judge and you say, these are my grievances. This is what has happened. And this is why this custody order no longer makes sense for us. Not necessarily as a punishment to the other party, but just because because what he or she is doing has no regard for the court order. And we do need to prove first that the other party is aware of the court order. That's why we have these service requirements. They must be aware of it. And that they were able to complete. For example, you're not paying spousal support if you show that you have no money. Now, again, it would have been incumbent on the payor to go back and change the support order. But if you could not fulfill that court order, what's the out? Could they still be held in contempt? They could. just depends on the judge and the proof. If somebody doesn't have the money, you know, that's that's what everybody says. I mean, it's uh, not a great defense. I mean, on occasion, you can get out of it but for that reason, but often you're going to be forced to pay whether you like it or not. And the child support, spouse support are not dischargeable in bankruptcy. And there can be sanctions, too. In addition to what you owe and interest on it, you could actually have monetary sanctions charged against you. Yes? Exactly. 
So remember that show, This Is Your Life, where we bring in people from your past? So it's not quite that, but I want to tell our listeners. So Jennifer Reamer is a young associate at my firm who is absolutely a star. Um, and for better or for worse, she was she pretty much learned most of her family law from Peter Walther and his partner, Chris Melcher. And when I was looking around for a new associate, I can't say I poached her or stole her. They, she went with their blessing, but I every day thank Walzer and Melcher for having trained this young woman so amazingly well, not just in terms of her knowledge of family law, but the way, and maybe you were born with this or maybe your parents gave it to you, the poise with which you approach family law, how you deal with clients, how you deal with opposing counsel. She's so amazing. And I texted her this morning to say that Peter was going to be our guest. And lo and behold, 15 minutes later, here she is, Peter. Surprise, Jenny Reamer came in. Good morning, Jenny. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Yes. So tell us a little bit about how amazing Peter is. And we already talked about all of his awards and accolades and positions. But just in terms of being a young attorney, learning the ropes, particularly in family law, tell us how great he was as a mentor or teacher. So he's the best. And not only for me, but I think he just really enjoys being a mentor because I've seen him time and time again with other attorneys that are either at his firm or not at his firm. Anything he can do to help somebody um, learn how to market themselves, learn how to litigate, learn how to communicate better. And he's always trying to better himself, too. And I think that's why he's so good at it. He he doesn't have an ego. Um so I don't know if you disagree, but <laughs> so I he was. <laughs> I have an ego, but Jenny's always been poised. I mean, just put her the the building falls over, and she says, "It looks like the air's uh, on." Or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you, but yeah, it, it was a great experience. I mean, I came right out of law school to work with him, and so yeah, he trained me from from day one, and I was there for ten years, and we're still friends, which yeah. is great. What made you decide to do family law? I kind of know why Peter and I may have fallen into it, but why Why did you decide out of all of the different fields of law you could go into? And you definitely, folks, if you haven't figured this out by now listening to this podcast over time, you have to have the stomach for it. It takes a certain kind of a person. So why did you veer towards it when you were in law school or thereafter? So... I think it even started before law school. I volunteered with legal aid doing juvenile delinquency work. Mm-hmm. So I always knew kind of that idea of being involved with families, with children. Uh, I was a psych major in college and thought maybe I want to be a therapist. And I'm sure we all know that a lot of our job is is listening and being empathetic and helping people through problems. And the idea of being a lawyer on top of that and, and uh, being able to advocate was a really interesting idea for me. So I think even before law school, I had the idea and then I just developed more and more. And Peter, I mean, tell us how much, how much handholding is appropriate? And again, I don't mean like sexually or anything like that. I mean, like I've seen, and I get asked this a lot, you know, how close do you become with your clients? Because they do. They want to tell us everything. We know everything about their life, their parenting, sometimes their sexual proclivities, all of these things come out. How important is it or how easy is it to draw that line between becoming a friend or even a therapist to these folks as opposed to really being their attorney, the voice of reason, and an advocate? I think, first of all, you need to know everything about your client that they're willing to share because the more information you know, you can help them in planning their life, in trying a custody case, in helping them with their finances. 
But you do have to keep boundaries. We're lawyers. We're not psychologists. We're not financial planners. We can't invest their money. You just have to be clear on what your abilities are and what you can't do. And Jenny was really good at that. She's empathic, but she knows her place is not to tell a client what to do. They have choices. And we both know that there are other professionals who can do a better job for the clients than we can. But we have to know them. That's why these organizations are so helpful. We meet all these other people. They're tools for us to help our clients get to where they want to go. And through your work with the very Elkins and the various other kind of family law organizations, but particularly the ones that deal with propers or self-represented litigants, can folks do it? Can they do it on their own? Yes, they can. And there's lots of help out there. There's the court self-help center, which really has developed over the last 10 years into a resource. They have videos. They have people that will sit down with you and help you fill them out. And I think the judges have more sensitivity. They've been called out on being elite. So they really want to help the self-represented people get through the system. And it's easier. Is it better to have an attorney? It's better to have the right attorney, but if you can't afford it, you can do it yourself. And if you're, and again, we at It's Over Easy have a lot of those resources as well, whether it's content or index to direct people during or after divorce to the other professionals, the tools that you mentioned. We don't think they're tools. We think they're great people, but people that can help resources, whether it's mental health professionals, child care, people to help with insurance, people to help with finances, people to help with uh, moving, mortgages, taxes, all of those folks available. It is doable. What we believe is if you give people the information and the guidance and the support that they need, that they can get through it on their own. And like you said, Peter, there may be issues that are insurmountable. So you take one issue, if it's custody, if it's a move away case, if it has to do with the appropriate amount of support, if you need to litigate that, or if you need some advocacy there, fine, but figure out all of the other things. And that is what we are talking about as a way to really help people move through the process without necessarily so much acrimony. All right. So being a fellow attorney, I know that you're more than familiar with form interrogatories and other tools available to us in the discovery phase of litigation, correct? Correct. Okay. So these aren't as cumbersome and they're much more fun. These are the divorce sucks interrogatories. So do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? Yes, ma'am. Okay. Are you divorced, married, or single? Uh, both. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I am divorced and I am remarried. Okay. <laughs> so you, okay, I understand. See, there's a hybrid there. We have to add that to the interrogatory because it can be confusing. And what is your favorite breakup song? Breaking Up is Hard to Do, Neil Sedaka. Don't take your love away from me. You leave my heart in misery. Nice. 1968. Yes, there will be a clip the year I was born. Thank you very much. <sighs> and what would you say, Peter, to cheer up a friend, not a client, going through a breakup? Get over it. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and Jenny, be thinking about this one, too, because I'm going to ask you this one. What romantic comedy could you watch on repeat? Uh, when Harry meets Sally. Met Sally. Met yes. Sally. It was yes. a past tense that we get that one a lot. Jenny? Um, well, going off of the uh, the Meg Ryan theme, I guess I'll do Sleepless in Seattle. Yes, that was a good one. Apollo right. 13. <laughs> <laughs> you can see some of the things people have said. I'm like, that's not a, I'm like, that's a romantic comedy. I'm glad I'm not sleeping with you. Okay, we didn't have that one. All right. 
Thank you for joining us today and sharing your insights about prenuptial agreements, family law, contempt, etc. Peter, tell our listeners how they can reach you online. WalzerMelcher.com, W-A-L-Z-E-R-M-E-L-C-H-E-R.com. And how about reading articles? All the articles on our are on our website. Okay. And on LinkedIn? And LinkedIn, yes. At, at Walzer Peter. Yes. If some people try to make a prenup into a pre-negotiation of a divorce, that's sad. But I do think it's important to understand what each person has coming into the relationship and what each person expects from the relationship. They aren't always fun discussions to have, but they can be very eye-opening. I'm Laura Wasser, and yeah, divorce sucks, but here's some encouraging news. It doesn't have to be that way. To our new subscribers, thank you for joining our conversation. And those of you loyal followers who listen every week, we are so grateful to all of you. Thanks for listening, everyone. I can't wait to chat again next Monday. Ciao. And now, an ad from Dad. All right. Save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. Can I take these off? All right. What is this? This looks good. Wow. That's what, man. Where did you get this? I'm talking to you with the hair. Yeah, where did you get this? It's good stuff. That's solid. That's not veneer. That's solid stuff. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations.